what's interesting about AI though, is it's only as good as the data that goes into it. So in an artificial intelligence model where, where you're measuring a player's biomechanics, um, what are you measuring them against and how can we give that player a benchmark because data for data's sake is really not very helpful. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Alomes. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's show, we have Mary Lou McFarlane, Principal of Sports Tech Work, founder of Women in Sports Tech, and currently the CMO and CRO of the new sports performance startup, Mustard. Merrilee has worked passionately building sports tech businesses for much of the last decade and now consults for startups in the space as a principal of Sports Tech Works. Her latest client is Mustard, a new sports performance startup which democratizes access to elite level coaching by offering the only motion analysis app providing same session feedback in addition to personalized instruction from the world's best coaches. All of this is powered by an AI platform built on 20 years of data from leading coach and former MLB pitcher Tom House. Prior to her role at Sports Tech Works, Mary Lou was president of North America Soccer for Stat Sports and introduced the Apex Athlete Series consumer product to US soccer's youth ecosystem of 4 million players. Prior to that role, she was CEO of venture-funded CoachNow, previously named Edufy, and guided this mobile platform for connected coaching to successful merger acquisition in 2017. Mary Lou has a passion for driving growth opportunities for women in sports, both on and off the field. As a founder and CEO of Vivo Girls Sports, Mary Lou and her team created a digital media property that was rapidly accepted globally by young women aged 13 to 24, Olympians and advertisers alike, and subsequently inspired the launch of ASBNW. In late 2017, Mary Lou founded the not-for-profit group Women in Sports Tech, otherwise known as WIST, with a mission to drive growth opportunities for women in the industry. Current partners include IBM Sports, Nike, the NBA, Catapult Sports, Spartan, and numerous private donors and foundations, including the Mark Cuban Foundation. We're delighted to have her on the show, and as always, you can find show notes uh, and some more information about this episode at sportstechfeed.com. If you'd like to stay up to date with all the happenings in the industry uh, across the world of sports tech, uh, then definitely sign up for our newsletter, sportstechworldseries.com. It's every week, uh, hits your inbox, so it's not overloading it, uh, and gives you the latest news, the kind of top trending articles, uh, a deep dive there as well if you want to dive into a a certain topic a little bit more, uh, and of course, information about the podcast. If you're new to the show, then I highly recommend you check out some of our previous episodes. Last week, we had Daniel Marion from UEFA talking about how the world's best club competition in the UEFA Champions League and and obviously the representative for European soccer in UEFA uh, has dealt with the challenges of 2020, uh, of which there's been certainly a few. We also had Patrick Ward, Director of Research and Development for the Seattle Seahawks on two weeks ago. Uh, He was discussing how he uses data from non-traditional sources uh, in developing uh, models that give insights and competitive advantage to the Seahawks uh, and really his journey in, in sports technology and sports data, which is is fascinating all the way from jazz guitar up to what he's doing now uh, in pro NFL teams. As always, if you've got any feedback on the show or you would like to continue the conversation, then please reach out on LinkedIn, uh, Thomas Alomes, or also contact me on email, thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. We really enjoy the opportunity to continue the conversation uh, outside of the podcast with our listeners. I'll be back at the end of the episode with a few final thoughts, but for now, let's dive into how computer vision and AI are overtaking wearable tech for high-performance coaching. Mary Lou McFarlane, Principal of Sports Tech Works, founder of Women in Sports Tech. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Hello, Thomas. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. So 
Today's topic, we're going to focus on uh, trends in, in human performance and, and drilling down, first of all, to player tracking. What's the current state of the player tracking market when it comes to technology and where do you see it evolving uh, into the future? Well, it's a fascinating topic uh, today. And, you know, player tracking is projected to be a $9 billion industry by 2025. Um, and my own experience has really been in the athletic and the athlete performance side, especially with early and growth stage startups. So I've been able to see how we're evolving from wearable technologies that are provide reams and reams of data to even way more simple technologies that are mostly computer vision, uh, camera based, and even from a mobile phone. And I think what we're seeing is there, there's definitely going to be a movement from, you know, expensive hardware type startups and businesses way more to AI based software technologies. Yeah. So evolving from that fixed, uh, so fixed wearable on a, on a person with a sort of a wrist, um, a wrist based one back of the Jersey, um, uh, wherever else it is, something on the shoulder plate, same, same football to something that is, is focused through a camera. And why, is, why the change? Like why, considering the, the amount of data that you can get off, say, a GPS unit um, uh, that a player wears, why the change from that fixed hardware to computer vision software solutions? Well, I think there will always be a need for the GPS tracking wearable technologies like a catapult. Um, there's just more that they capture than just how far you ran or how fast you ran because they include accelerometers and gyroscopes in those technologies. You tend to get way more, you know, information about the, the player's movement through space at a certain speed, but the things like capturing things that might be captured at an NFL combine, for instance, where typically you would have used hardware for that. There's no question that now with camera-based technologies, you can, you can avoid the use of that equipment, you know, that heavy-duty licensed equipment. And I think what it's going to do, Thomas, that's super exciting to me, is make this type of data more available on a broader scope, like from the college level down to elite youth and academy, um, because so much of it is evolving to be able to be taken right out of a mobile phone. I think it's going to make this type of data way more accessible, which is super exciting. Yeah, definitely. So the actual, the expensive unit of hardware, which needs to be updated, you need to buy the actual hardware itself, you need to fix it to the athlete. Um, that can be replaced by something that's either through a, a fixed camera, which is a, also a hardware cost, um, or a mobile phone. Um, it, it reduces the overheads of, of making that happen. Yeah, That's right, and especially because some of those technologies, the GPS trackers, they're, they're very difficult to have them work consistently and accurately indoors. So that's going to mean any of the field sports that are training inside and indoors um, will not have the same data. The benchmarks will not be the same indoors and outdoors. And that's a big challenge for these tech companies like Catapult and Statsports and others. Um, and so that's where you see the companies like uh, Second Spectrum, which work mostly indoors um, with very expensive camera setups. Uh, so I think what's going to be interesting is how we can take these currently being developed mobile technologies um, and learn a lot about the GPS, what would have been you know, GPS tracking data, but also really importantly for human and 
performance and athlete performance is um, capturing biomechanical data that has a huge impact on how athletes perform because it is those marginal gains that you get that really uh, can inform how much an athlete might meet their potential. So what's interesting about AI though is it's only as good as the data that goes into it. So in an artificial intelligence model where, where you're measuring a player's biomechanics, um, what are you measuring them against and how can we give that player a benchmark? Because data for data's sake is really not very helpful, especially to a coach or a youth elite youth athlete, really any age athlete who may not be savvy to what to do with the data. What do they do with that information? Yeah. And I guess that comes back to your point around um, that when this, this technology is made available more broadly, then you have more data points where you, you can build a better model or the artificial intelligence has more data points, therefore it can learn more, you know, more better data in equals better results out the other end of it. So being able to compare that. Um, and is there also, I mean, just, just at a basic level, just the time it takes to attach these wearables to athletes um, and, and potentially that it's one of those things, if it can just be completely passive through camera systems, um, that it means it's more time for, for training, it's more time for reps, and it's less time calibrating and, and, and fiddling around with this. That's a great point. And it's really, you know, it is a layer of stress for athletes that unless you're at a collegiate or professional level, it is a level of stress that you maybe don't need, you know, as you're trying to warm up and get ready, you know, is that I had the really interesting experience with stat sports of introducing this consumer uh, version of the very savvy B2B product that U.S. soccer and a number of EPL teams use. We introduced the consumer product and there's just a lot of education still for these young athletes. And yes, that time to get the vest on, make sure it's comfortable, make sure the device is actually turned on. You know, the promise of it is significant because it can actually live track all kinds of data, you know, uh, from the sidelines. So even the technologies around concussions. So to be able to um, have the athlete wear it and get this data in real time is very meaningful. But if we can do that without them having to wear the technology on their back, and we can, that's coming. Um, through AI and computer vision, there will not be a need for the athlete to actually wear that product on their back you know, during competition, during training and competition. Yeah. And is there, I mean, what are some of the barriers to, to this technology being adopted and getting to the point that it can match GPS? I mean, GPS is, for instance, amongst a, a range of other things that are used in um, player tracking, but that's, that's really old technology, relatively speaking. Like, that's been around for a long time. Um, it's just getting more accurate and, and the kind of data that you can gather and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's essentially relatively unchanged um, for a long time. How do you get computer vision, artificial intelligence to the point that it can replace that? I, I've actually seen it. It's already there, like in terms of what computer vision can do to measure a 40-yard dash or a broad jump. And arguably, it's even better and more accurate with the, with the computer vision and using the AI engine. Um, and to your point, the more that it is used the more data that can go into that AI engine and the algorithms, the more accurate it's going to be. 
Um, and there can be all kinds of issues with hardware, as we know. You know, there are there are bugs in hardware that I think are um, can happen when you least want them to happen. Like if you're at an NFL combine and the player just ran their best 40-yard dash ever and something misfunctioned or, or uh, malfunctioned in the technology, the, the equipment, you're not going to have that you know, kind of margin, the margin for error will be smaller using AI and computer vision for sure. Yeah. There's just too many places where hardware can go awry. Yeah, definitely. And also the, the ability to um, get historical data from footage. Um, and that's an, that's an evolving area. But I mean, we had um, uh, the CTO of Stats Perform, um, Dr. Helen Sun on the show. And uh, she was talking about putting what they're doing with artificial intelligence and computer vision for uh, statistics and running that through the, the 1990 Chicago Bulls um, and, and putting archival footage in there and getting modern statistics off that, which is, which is really interesting. And as you mentioned in that 40-yard dash uh, example, you, you don't get it with the hardware. Sorry, too bad, so sad. Whereas if you have the footage and you can pull that off, well, then you can go back to it and, and have the ability to, to get the result. So it's... It's storing that. Um, there's still obviously issues with calibration on anything, uh, and this doesn't remove that, um, but it's it's certainly less, as you said, the margin for error. Is there, is there, is there problems with, uh, well, I mean, there are problems with latency. That's probably one of the biggest issues that people raise to me about um, computer vision and, and the actual analysis. Is that something with 5G that you, you see kind of essentially solved or largely solved with the ability to go and cloud computing to actually crunch the, the data to get our responses in real time? I do. I think it's pretty amazing to see. Um, and a great example, which I've told you a little bit about, is this company, Mustard, who I've been working with for most of this year. We're actually launching tomorrow. Um, and I've been astounded at how the more the AI engine is used, um, the, the faster this actionable data comes back um, and and can provide progress reports for players. So what I think is really maybe the most interesting about this, there are a number of, of technologies that are capturing data that is meaningful, but it, who is it meaningful to? And in many cases, if it's not, if it's descriptive, but not prescriptive, it's not really helpful. So you might get a bunch of data back, but without the benchmarks, without a report card that in this case of Mustard is based on 40 years of biomechanical data on the greatest to ever play the game, who were coached by Tom House, um, the data doesn't mean as much. I mean, even we're talking to some MLB teams who they have reams and reams of data available to them, but it in many cases, the struggle is to make it actionable. And then what do you compare it to? So what's really interesting about Mustard is it has this application based on this 40 years of data that can be applied to the youth player in his backyard with his coach, all the way to the MLB, you know, affiliates and, and throughout their, you know, farm system. Um, the other place that it can be really, really helpful is in a scouting situation right? You've got scouts out in the field. They don't have access to that equipment. They don't, even at perfect game, you know, events, they don't necessarily get, they don't get biomechanical data. They may get results data, you know, velocity of a pitch and they, and they see what they see with their own eyeballs, 
but to get back an actual biomechanical report card that is generated based on data points that we know from Tom House's data, the Nolan Ryans, the Randy Johnson, Cole Hamels, you can just go through, it's, a, it's really, Tom has coached at some point every MLB pitcher and been able to improve their biomechanics. So he knows, I mean, he he's, calls himself a bit of a nutty professor, but this is where the technology can be the most helpful because then you take it to the next step. So it's descriptive and you get a report card based on the most important, I think Tom has broken it down to 11 variables, but then you get a, a, a prescription with specific drills that help you improve that particular variable where you may have been off. Like if it's, if it's um, head position, head tilt, there's certain drills and skills that you can do to drills to improve those, the skills that bring your head back to within 10 degrees, for instance, which can add, you know, three to five miles per hour on your, on the velocity of the pitch. So it's all really, really interesting. And I've been, I've learned a ton working with the mustard team this year, just about this technology and seeing how it compares to other, you know, AI engines and opportunities for players. And I'm, couldn't be more excited about it. And, and I would say mostly because of the accessibility of it. You know, some of these sports techs just have been out of reach for most athletes. Yeah, and, and what separates Mustard from other solutions in that space? What do you think it's kind of <clears throat> Mustard is? 100% on, on the data that Tom House has collected. So if you don't have the data, that's the benchmark, right? This is what we were, attempting to also do at stat sports is let's create a an ideal midfielder or an, or an ideal pitcher you know what are the variables that we know are 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 uh kind of well there are the established benchmarks for that position in that sport so as soon as you can have that data available a player an aspirational young player can start to compare their own data to those benchmarks of the greatest who have ever played the game. You know, how can um, a young pitcher look at these things like timing, release, um, release point, um, balance, stride, timing, timing and stride length are significant when you're pitching, for instance. Um, so the thing that makes mustard so exciting is because it is based on real data on the on the best players. I mean, simply that. There are other AI engines that are very, very cool. Um, and they can serve, you know, their own purposes, especially in terms of um, like what, uh, I believe it's Uplift. I'm going to think of the name in a second. There's another technology that is more specific to biomechanics in a training session with your coach. So especially during COVID, if I can look at the way you're doing your, your workout of the day or your um, specific strength training workout that I gave you, um, then we can have a much more realistic conversation because I can see the data and I can see where I want you to go to avoid injury. But I think, again, it's, it's always going to be based on the data, the quality of the data that it is compared yeah. to. Otherwise, it's just devoid of, of meaning in the sense of, um, say, weightlifting, for instance, is, is one of the earliest applications that I saw in computer vision because it is something where your joint alignment is very set. Like there is a very accepted way of doing things. The, the angles of, of joints and the angles of, of limbs and stuff like that, that's where it is. 
Hummond's group should be and that's what best practice is. So being able to have your vision that uh, an excellent coach would be able to look at you and say, well, your, your left arm's off, or your, your wrist is cocked or whatever it is, or your knee's out of position. Whereas computer vision can go straight away, pick it up. Um, but it needs, it needs to know what those um, good positions are. And, and to your point, that that's coaches. That's the coaches that still, like none of this technology replaces coaches because it's still coaches that need to feed in um, what is the best, what are we looking for, um, and how to improve that. Um, and I think that's a, that's a point worth making um, because it's not, it's not about replacement, it's about a tool to, to improve and assist. That is, such a great, that is such a great point. None of this in any way will ever replace that coach-athlete relationship. There are too many other things involved beyond biomechanics, right, as a coach. Um, but what this does is for the first time give coaches access to objective data, you know, if they, if they are so inclined to take their, their own game to the next level, they have the ability now to compare technology, I'm sorry, data, for instance, from the best rowing um, mechanics. That's an interesting sport to me because the, the sports that are so finely based on technique. Um, are you familiar with a sensei? Have you heard of that technology yet? Yeah. Um, Do you want to share that for our audience? Sure. From and I and I, I need an update on it. I haven't talked with Stephen Webster about it in a while, but I'm kind of fascinated with how, especially for endurance sports like rowing, it it literally can in real time with a coach in my ear tell me that I'm you know breaking my wrist too soon or straightening my legs sooner in in that motion than I should. So I think um, you know there are going to be applications for it for for nearly any sport where the technique is so, so critical mm -hmm. to success. Um, I look forward to seeing how it can impact, you know, so soccer, which is my own personal favorite sport, you know, and especially Thomas, where, where can this computer vision help train an athlete that certain motions that all these athletes were doing before they got an ACL. I'm speaking specifically to female athletes. So what was that athlete doing leading up to the moment that they tore their ACL? And was there anything that we can do to improve their biomechanics and either how they're running, how they're planting, you know, how they're shooting, how they're passing and what strength. And then again, really importantly, let's look at it, but then let's also look at the prescription for how to do that in a way that will be much less likely to lead to injury. That's where it's really, really fascinating. Yeah, so it's, a, it's the improvement over time. Um, and again, having that, that broad data set that you can, you can punch all that in and, and actually get uh, actual insights from it. Yeah, definitely. You know, so. it's something I'd like to talk um, with my good friend Anson Dorrance about this. He's the 22-time national champion uh, coach of the UNC women's soccer team um, where my daughters played. And he's such a fan of data. And I was one of the earliest to adopt GPS tracking data. But I'm eager to learn of the technology that is being, mustard will eventually get there, which is exciting. But again, it's going to be based on a database of all the best players who have ever played the game. You know, how does someone like, um, how did Mia Hamm move in such a way that she did not ever tear an ACL? You know, what can we learn from that? Um, I think it's going to be really, really interesting across all sports. Yeah, definitely. And, and the ability to uh, apply it retrospectively as well, um, if we can. And 
and I guess the tiers of development is is we've had wearable tracking, which is um, uh, can be can get in the way, can be obstructive, can be slow to slow to put on, slow to, to work with things like that. Hardware issues, and then evolving into software with with a hardware complement, which is fixed cameras um, that can be expensive, as you said. There's quite a few um, companies out there doing some interesting things in the space. Um, Shot Tracker and Atom Sports are two that. Uh, we had uh, the founders on on the show, um, both doing interesting things in basketball, um, and then looking at well, I guess the holy grail is going any camera, an iPhone, a you know, a <laughs> smartphone, whatever that is, being able to do that, be able to process that in real time. I think that's like the the, the next tier um, in terms of that computer vision technology. Yes, and you just brought up another really good thought there is if you think about the GPS trackers, they, they, they're reliant on the data that's collected then and there. So I would see young, phenomenal young athletes wearing the, you know, a GPS tracker on their back. And if the, if the technology, again, had, was buggy, didn't get turned on properly, the battery wasn't charged, they've lost that data. So now through video, I'm actually interested in the, in the uh, experiment that you said that Stats Perform did. I'll have to check with my friends there to see that because the truth is you can go back with video and learn so much way after the fact. Like you don't lose that experience now with computer vision and what we can do with AI. It's, it, that's actually a really strong point. Yeah, and especially for scouting at, at lower levels where you might not be in a tier of sport or even a socioeconomic bracket that allows you to, to spend this extra money on um, on player tracking tools and devices, um, but still to give you the benefit and show that you have the skills, you have the, the ability, whatever else that is, um, that will allow you to get scouted and, and, and get selected and advance in your chosen uh, sport. Well, that's what Mustard's doing exactly is, now a young player, you can also send your progress. You can show that not only did you progress in terms of your biomechanics, but it also shows your commitment to improvement. And the fact that you, you know, every time you do something, as Tom House would say, it's a fail because it can only get better. So you don't look at it that way. You look at it as um, a process far more than trying to just be focused on the outcome. You just focus on the process and then you can share your progress with a college coach, show how you physically have progressed, but also, you know, your mental fortitude to be committed to that, you know, to, to be coachable, to take, you know, this input from, you know, and that you have access now to the greatest coaches of all time. And you can share that with your college coach. And it's, it's, it's a tremendous asset beyond just what most athletes will send the college coach, which is just a, you know, some video of them playing clips of them playing with a soccer resume. Like those days are long over, you know, what we did for my own daughters, those days are long over mm. and it's exciting. Yeah. Beyond the, um, the, the YouTube hype reel where it's, That's right. yeah. So it's all, it's all the greatest moves now, and which is you know fantastic, but you can show consistency and performance. And as you said, coachability, all those things that, that um, go beyond um, what you can read on paper. That's right. Yeah. So this has been really interesting and, and kind of wrapping up that part of, um, I guess, what you do in terms of um, your role as principal at Sports Tech Works. You're also the founder of uh, Women in Sports Tech and this is an issue that is 
and a cause that's it's pretty close to my heart in the Brevard Sports Tech World Series. So can you um, share a little bit about uh, WIST and, and how can people get involved? I would be happy to. So WIST is just this wonderful global organization that is that is just exploding. And, you know, having been in this business for the last decade, really, um, after it was three years ago, three and a half years ago, I had had the ongoing reality that I was the only woman in the conversation for weeks on end. So I was at the time the CEO of Coach Now, which was called Edify at the time. And when we sold that company, I just kind of stopped to reset and thought, what can I do to actually connect the dots? So as I spoke to enlightened men like yourself, they really did want to hire more women and people of color and they didn't, they just were not in their hiring funnels. It wasn't, um, sports tech was actually not even that well known as a you know, category off of technology. So, and I would talk to young women who would see the work that I'm doing, sports fans, athletes who said, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this business existed. So how can I get into it? So we really created it to connect the dots and we've created this ecosystem now that is, 100% here to drive growth opportunities for women at all stages of their careers throughout the sports tech landscape. And, and recently this week, we've actually expanded that mission to include um, the introduction of sports tech careers at the high school level. And it's just so, I couldn't, I couldn't be more excited about how this now enables us to impact that funnel at a larger and younger age, because so often young girls in the high school age, I was this young girl. I was completely passionate about the sports I was playing. I also loved science and math. There was no one to encourage me towards that. Um, so what we now, what we know too is for young women, the importance of being able to see it to be it. So what we've done is created this, these initiatives that allow for role modeling, um, mentorship in at mass, you know, in scat scale, um, and created these these initiatives through WIST that are just that are that are unique. And it's been an amazing army of people who have joined me in the last three years. It's just been it's just been incredible. I think our our kind of hallmark initiative that is that is unique in the business is that we offer WIST fellowships, which are five, well, it's now a $7,500 grant for students to apply for to do a sports tech, to do an internship at a sports tech business or startup that might not normally have an internship program. So we offer $5,000 grant plus $2,500 to cover their housing and expenses, housing and travel, which this year, because of COVID, there was no housing or travel costs. So we were able to really lean in and we did 15 fellowships this summer, which you know, we're a volunteer led organization. So we all really leaned in hard and um, we've had this amazing group of volunteers to help and, and mentors to help us make sure that the fellows had a great experience. And, um, uh, and to be honest, it, it's all been due to donations from iconic sports, you know, brands to support us like IBM sports and Nike and the NBA catapult sports is a big, big supporter as well. Um, so, and we had a game-changing donation from the Mark Cuban Foundation. So, um, you know, what we now know too is a lot of these private don donors and foundations really do want to support their company's initiatives 
to raise diversity levels. You just, yeah. we just have to, it's better business for everyone. Right. And, and that's something that I always come back to. And, and thankfully these conversations I'm having in this space are less and less, they're more infrequent, um, but saying, well, why, why diversity? And, and for me, it's a no brainer, but if you have to have that conversation with someone saying, well, you want the best people for the jobs and you want the best talent and women are half the population. So why on earth are you, um, not focusing on engaging 50 odd percent of, of the talent that are that are there um and really if you are one of the best for your business then that's what you want and 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 really that's 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 kind of the sum of it so it's, it's going how do you increase that and um i know one of the things is talking about changing the ratio um which is that and that's one of the most basic ways to look at it is is how many women are in senior leadership positions um or even just in positions at, at sports technology companies um, and in roles and teams and leagues, um, public events, things like that, conferences, um, something we've made a 50-50 at least commitment to um, for gender balance at our, our major Australia conference um, and working on reaching 50-50 in, in our other markets. Um, and when I talk to people in the conference space, there's our, you know, tokenism and things like that, it's just rubbish. It's it's laziness as far as I'm concerned on the behalf of people who are organising these events because um, they just go to the same same group, um, you know, pale, male and stale is, is how it's um, often described. Uh, and it's the boys' club and then they just go to other people in the boys' club and say, do you want to come speak at this event or we'll work with you on this business? Um, and they make no effort to push out of their, um, their bubble. But something like WIST is fantastic for that. It's saying if you don't know any women in these positions and you don't know what to do, WIST is here to help you with that. And That's right. So we have a jobs portal where, where businesses can post their jobs. And it's important. You brought up a really great point. Uh, young women will want to work in your business if they do see women in senior leadership roles. If they feel they have a path to leadership, they're much more apt to you know, understand that you have a culture that will support them. You know, we know for sure that diverse teams in the workforce, they focus more on facts, they process facts more carefully. Um, they definitely make more innovative business decisions because of the diversity of lived experiences and especially in sports. Thomas, you know, half, the, half of the athletes are women, especially in this country and many are people of color. So it only makes sense, especially as we're marketing to them. I mean, at the end of the day, you're marketing technology, you're marketing um, to sell, you know, get butts in seats. And if you're not speaking, you know, peer to peer, um, you have far less, you know, chance for success, which is, which is interesting. And something that I wanted to point out that's very compelling is how gender stereotypes can start young. And that this is where we are focused very much on where we're going to be in the, in the near future. And we're already there. Like we can already see in three years, just going to the MIT Sloan conference. I would say the percentage just anecdotally of women to men there has mm -hmm. gone from 95% men to this last March. You know, we snuck in a trip there before we all, before COVID shut everyone down. I would say it was, easily 25 to 30 percent women in those in those big conference rooms but what we want to do is bridge 
kind of, there's an encouragement gap. So what we want to do, we see that gender stereotypes start really, really young and research from NCWIT, which is the National Center for the Women and in Information Technology, um, shared a piece of research with me recently that was very, very compelling that young women, if they see what careers are available to them, they're much more likely to feel optimistic and positive and like they could fit into a tech career. If they're not aware of what the options are, they're far less likely to just go another path and, and go into what would be a more traditional over time, more traditional female path, you know, with their career. But, and, and what's also so much fun about women in sports tech is that, um, is that there's really no content available to high school and college girls that shows these careers. There's no other, there's ed tech, FinTech, health tech. You have a lot of role models in those businesses. Um, ed tech and health tech, I would say even more so than FinTech, you know, financial technologies. But um, even there, it seems like they're, they're more gender diverse than what we see in sports tech. So, and women, we love our sports. So what we're also doing is encouraging girls to keep playing their sports and don't lose the passion for sports that you have when you're a 13 year old. Cause yeah. it's really fun. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a, a probably great way to maybe tie it together is mustard is about that is about let's encourage play and the love of the game and, and that feeling that you get when you're on a field and you're, and you're playing with your mates and you're, um, in this team environment where you're learning and you're sharing, you're collaborating, and you're all focused on one goal. And those exact characteristics carry over to your career. You know, the way that you participate in sports, you know, is how you end up participating on the team that you work with. So um, I think it's a, I'm, I think we're here at the right place at the right time. And I'm really excited to see how we can just blow up from here. And we literally are in every country. Like I, I'm so excited to see, you know, the number of women and business and men, we're women and men working together all over this world who want to see this diversity happen. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's, I mean, it's the confluence of the, the recognition of women's sports um, as equal to the, to the men's ones. Despite, I mean, Djokovic and his, Association came up with this week. Anyway, I'm going to get on my soapbox here. I think it's rubbish. But um, and then you have players like Andy Murray who speak out against him and, and talk about that. So there are there are there are some good pushbacks, but at least that is the the minority. I think um, uh, Nike, for instance, some of their their amazing um, kind of movements that put around it. Their their recent ad um, that that would bring that out. So like just all the kind of content they're pushing out. And that I know they're a supporter of you is. Is fantastic and I guess that that's part of that cultural shift and then it's also a shift on the career side and saying if you want to work in sports technology um, it's also it's technical roles as well I think that's something that's worth talking about um, you can work in a creative role in marketing and comms and stuff like that as you say the traditional things but it's if you're going to the world of sports tech you can do that if you want to but you can also be uh, you can be an SNC coach you can be an analyst, you can do all of this stuff as well on that side of it. Um, so you, you can pursue those passions if you are a big old math nerd, um, then then run with it. Um, so that's really exciting to see uh, as, as a as a parent to a to a baby girl. I think math nerds rule. I mean, I, I think that's obvious now, right? And also. Um, you know, robotics, my own niece is, is very active in robotics competitions in her home in Connecticut. And 
these things just simply weren't there, you know, before now. And I think it's really exciting, you know, women, every much women's brains, every much as, as men's brains can be, are led to, you know, careers that are data science, data analytics, sports science. You know, I've been blown away by the PhD students that are our WIS fellows who are deep into biomechanics and deep into biometrics and um, artificial intelligence and all the things. So yes, there's, but, it, but it's notable to point out that even if you do want to work more on the digital media or the marketing side, there's, sports tech businesses need all of those things. These are businesses that need every one of those roles. And I would argue that in sports tech, there's a bit of a lag in terms of that, especially if it's a B2C product. You know, if you're not telling these, the, the consumer why they need it and you're just giving them a whole bunch of product features, just someone who may not be that tech savvy, then it then it's you're only going to have the very very early adopters and you're never going to hit that big you know the, the wide adoption that you're going to need to have a thriving business so i think having a brand that's compelling and an affiliation to that brand um is is really important as well and just like on a soccer field you need everyone with all different skills and all different objectives you know i call it you know the internal people and the external people the, the forwards and the and the backs who are kind of protecting the goal you need all of those roles for a team to be successful and i think now we see women in every one of those roles in sports tech and it's super exciting side by side with men and most men i'm this is my experience is most men welcome it and we you know it, you know it, that's what's going to have to change is that we can have WISP be available to them so that they know we're a resource for them. To your point, we're here now to connect the dots. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely share a link to WISP in the show notes. Um, I'll also share a link to one of our, I think it was our second episode we ever did, um, was interview with Dr. Georgie uh, Brewingvilles from uh, Oraco. So her focus is, um, is working on blood biomarkers um, and other uh, biological markers uh, in technology for women for female athletes and a lot of the research that she did was around uh, when women are on their period and how that affects performance and things like that which was called the last in um in, in kind of sports performance for women um but she's for my money like an absolute pioneer in this space and doing some fantastic stuff so that's a that's an example of an absolute badass woman in, in sports tech um so including a link to that and also of course we um in the show notes Thank you. And another one on that note is Helene Gayon, what she's doing with wild.ai. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. um, That has just launched. And that is a, another one of those that finally, finally, coaches can actually have access to data that is specific to a female body. Because you just, we should not be trained identically to the way men are trained. And I think we're learning that there are ways to, you know, reach potential that that maybe we haven't seen yet from female athletes so i think it's a really that's a really exciting exciting point is how these technologies can apply specifically to to women's sports yeah definitely so final question for you um really what is your favorite sporting moment of all time my personal favorite sporting moment of all time yeah. can be everything from little league to the super bowl of any sport, whatever, involving yourself, involving a family member, involving a team, just. <clears throat> I, I give you the fa very, very favorite and then the close second. So the very, very favorite was when my daughter Kelly 
with her UNC women's soccer team won the national championship in 2012 down in San Diego. They beat Penn State. It was an epic match, but, and they had beat Stanford in the semifinal in blinding rain down at University of San Diego. But on this, this Sunday in 2012, uh, they won the national championship, and it just – there's really nothing like it, especially because I had coached her some, you know, her first 10 years of her life to see all that come together um, was just the thrill – beyond what I can even describe for her and her teammates and, and to be part of that. And then the close second would be my, her younger daughter, Darcy played in the semifinal of the college cup in 2016. And it was a very exciting moment to see her come out in Avaya stadium. And um, as the team captain, um, be able to also get her team to the college cup after they had this, as Anson says, incredible season where, you know, their top two players on their team, couldn't play with their college team. U.S. soccer decided that they couldn't participate in their NCAA year, uh, play that year. So the fact that they got to the College Cup was just, as Anson says, the overreach of all time, but they did it, and it was really, really exciting. They lost by one goal, but they had Dar Darcy went out with a hamstring tear, and Hannah, the other captain, went out with a concussion in the first 20 minutes of that match. So the fact that they still almost, you know, went on to the final was extraordinary. There's walking wounded, carrying through injuries, and yeah. Great. Well, I'll um, I'll see if I can I can dig up any footage on that. If not, I'll um, I'll find some other um, fantastic uh, female soccer highlights. Uh, no shortage of them, especially recently um, from the US. Um, we include that, and like I said, all those other links in the show notes at sportsicfeed.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. This has really been interesting. I've I've learned a bunch myself, and that's what we're all doing. We're learning as fast as we can, and it's just exploding like it's becoming more accessible and um that's what makes it the most exciting i think at the end of the day yeah I and mean, that's and that's the whole reason we do this is, is open collaboration and, and finding the, the pockets of innovation and people that are pushing the industry forwards in in different ways and we're definitely doing that on a, on a number of levels so pleasure to have you on the show and thank you again for joining us uh, mary lou thanks thomas have a great day there you have it. That was Mary Lee McFarlane, Principal of Sports Tech Work, founder of WIST uh, and working with the new um, sports tech startup, Mustard. So wearing a lot of hats there, but a fantastic person in the industry that's really driving it forwards uh, on a lot of fronts. And as we talked about towards the end of that interview, uh, how she's growing her passion for sports technology and, and then building uh, that for women in the industry as well and, and women at a high school level, collegiate level and a professional level uh, looking to to move into this so i would definitely recommend you check that out if you're not a partner if you haven't signed up then do so if you're looking to hire then really look at the resources they've got as well uh, very valuable there and of course if you are interested in the sports performance space then look at mustard as well they've just launched a couple of days ago real fresh uh, great to get in there and support them as they grow and it'll be very interesting to see how that space in motion capture, computer vision, artificial intelligence does grow and, and really at the point that it overtakes, if it does overtake wearables, um, the jury's still out on that. Personally, I believe that it, that it will overtake that and, and Mary Lou's obviously uh, in that camp as well. Always happy to continue the conversation on LinkedIn. Uh, Thomas Alomes, as I said, um, quite easy to find on there. So if you want to reach out and, and continue that, that chat or also see how we could potentially help your business, uh, grow and develop and also very happy to take that conversation further 
That's all for me for this week. I will see you same time, same place. Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. (laughs) 